My favorite way to unwind and dive into something more fun is June's Journey. The game lets me channel my inner detective and unlock compelling stories, strong female characters, and a mystery I want to solve. If you like true crime podcasts, it's the perfect game to play along while you listen. The Hidden Object Mystery Game will put your detective skills to the test in the roaring 1920s. You play as June Parker as she tries to solve her sister's murder and along the way uncovers family secrets. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Mystery, danger, romance all await you if you download the game now. I'm on chapter four and wondering how these clues will help me crack the case of who did it and why. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. For one veteran, the woods of Oregon seemed like the perfect setting for a new beginning. She spoke of coming to Southern Oregon to start a nice, quiet, simple life away from the, the city. She was just a, a rough old woman that was living off the grid. But when a traveling handyman goes missing, it sends a chill rippling across this peaceful rural community. It certainly raises red flags when somebody is reported missing and they don't have their most important belongings with them. Me, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. We basically all uh, feared something bad had happened. As the investigation begins, dark secrets are exposed. He was having a little hard time with alcohol. I don't know how he was doing dealing with reality. He was distraught. He was very angry. And when the pieces fall into place, detectives will discover a disturbing crime, more twisted than anyone could imagine. I've had nightmares about this case for years. I'm thinking to myself as we're pulling up, like, are we in the twilight zone here? Like, what is this place? It's, it was crazy. It looked like the setting of a low budget horror film. How many more bodies are you gonna find? Four, five, six? That is what caused us concern that, indeed, we were dealing with a serial killer. January 1st, 2014. It's the middle of a wet, frigid winter as the children of 56-year-old Robert Haney gather in Medford, Oregon to discuss their father. We haven't seen or heard from uh, my dad for two months now. 
we just all started to kind of panic and worry. The Haney siblings drive together to the home of Susan Monica, their father's employer and landlord. When they arrive, Susan says she hasn't seen their father since he quit without notice in September, nearly four months ago. Susan Monica said that my dad just basically left. She wanted us to come get her, uh, retrieve her dad's uh, stuff. When Robert's kids arrive at their father's trailer, they immediately know something is wrong. His motorcycle and truck was there. His leather jacket was there. His dog was still running around. And all his tools were there. Robert Haney always took excellent care of his tools. They were his livelihood. And he would never leave them just strewn about the location as they found them. It made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. We basically all uh, feared something bad had happened. Born on June 26, 1957, Robert Haney had struggled most of his life. Robert wasn't very popular. He didn't have a lot of dates um, or friends. He was just quiet. Robert did not finish high school. He took off. Him and his brother, Don, basically ran away when they were younger and uh, started out on their own. My dad, Robert, he would do plumbing construction. He would basically build a house from the bottom up. As he was establishing himself in the construction business, Robert met a woman named Thalia Larson at a party. The couple married in the early 80s and raised five children, but it wasn't an easy life. My dad was mainly working a lot. He would be working there six days a week. He just wanted to provide uh, for his kids. Then there was issues between my dad uh, and my mom. They were just arguing too much and just uh, couldn't no longer be, be together, as far as I know. He basically just kept working to drown out the feelings. In 2003, Robert and his wife divorced, and he and his children moved north to Medford, Oregon for a change of pace. When I was 10, we moved up to Medford. It was definitely a fresh start for my dad. He was able to get a, quite a few jobs. He really just wanted to provide uh, for his uh, kids. In 2012, after the last of his kids moved out, Robert decided it was time to downsize and bought a dog and a camper. My dad replied to an ad on Craigslist about a job for a handyman uh, work uh, in exchange to live on the property. And that's when my dad met Susan Monica. Susan Monica was born in California on July 8th, 1948. But her early days are somewhat of a mystery. Susan didn't open up quite often about her past. Although not much is known about Susan's early life, according to veteran records, she was born a male and served in the Navy during the Vietnam era. From the Department of Veteran Affairs, I learned that Susan was actually born Stephen Buchanan. 
After being honorably discharged, Susan began living her life as a female. She got into an engineering career and was very successful. She worked on submarines in San Francisco. Susan's demanding job soon had her dreaming of a quieter life, away from the California rat race. So in 1991, she bought a 20-acre farm in Weimar, Oregon. Susan spoke of coming to Southern Oregon to start a new life, to uh, have a farm, some animals, and just a nice, quite simple life away from the, the city. She lived on her place with no electricity. It was a little shack. She was just a, a rough old woman that was living off the grid. Susan was a person that isolated herself, except when she needed to go into town to get something. She didn't want to be around people. Susan raised a small crop of pigs and started a welding company. She made wrought iron fences, and they were beautiful. She could put anything on them from decorative animals to trees. In her spare time, Susan focused on making improvements to her farm. There was raw land when Susan first got there. She put that huge barn up, and then Susan had decided she was going to build a house. She was looking for a handyman to help out. She had put up ads in stores, and she had used the internet as well. And that's how she met Robert Haney. In 2013, Robert and his dog moved out to Susan's property in his camper. Oh, my dad and Susan and Monica had a deal. My dad would get part cash and uh, be able to stay on the property. My dad agreed to build a house from the bottom up. He was her handyman, a laborer, a carpenter, whatever she asked of him, he did. By the summer of 2013, Robert seemed happier than ever. He didn't mind living in the trailer, working out there. He really liked just being out in the woods, basically by himself and just have nice peace and quiet. So when Robert suddenly disappears in September 2013, his children are stunned that their father would abandon such an ideal position, leaving all of his possessions behind. It was really unlike my dad to just leave all his stuff like that. So we went ahead and put a missing persons report. This person's already been gone for three months or so. You know, you're behind the curve already and you don't know what's happened to this person or if anything bad has happened to them. Coming up, the discovery of a horrific event in the weeks before Robert's disappearance raises new concerns for the Haney family. He was distraught. He was very angry. He wanted uh, to seek revenge. What if he got into something that he was not able to handle and he was hurt or someone killed him? We called everywhere that we could think of. We are just all hoping my dad would still be alive. On January 1st, 2014, 
Robert Haney's family arrives at the Jackson County, Oregon Sheriff's Office to file a missing persons report. They told the Sheriff's Office that the last place that they were aware that Robert Haney was, was working on Susan Monica's property. At that point, we had an idea that Robert Haney had been missing for a few months. We know that he had been seen in early September. It certainly raises red flags when somebody is reported missing and they don't have their most important belongings with them. They don't have um, their dog, especially. Robert's children admit that since they moved out, their single father has enjoyed a more nomadic lifestyle. It was kind of spotty, like, you know, they would often go a month or two without talking to their dad, but um, it was still consistent. They always did continue to talk to their father. It can be more difficult to track down somebody if they live a lifestyle where they don't have a regular home. Making matters more difficult, the Haney children say their father worked in a cash-only business. They asked me and my siblings if uh, my dad had any debit cards, credit cards, and we told them that he did have an EBT card. The Haney children also told me that he didn't have any other, you know, bank accounts or anything like that that they knew of. When detectives ask how Robert was behaving in the weeks leading up to his disappearance, his children reveal that Robert was deeply affected by a recent traumatic event. Someone was assaulted in my family. And so my dad was going through a rough time with that. I know he did love his family, and he, uh, he cared about uh, what happened. He was distraught. He was very angry. He wanted uh, to seek revenge. The Haney children say that the stress of the situation drove their father to drink. He was likable enough, you know, when he wasn't drunk. But when Robert was drunk, he, he was a little hard to, like most of us are hard to deal with. Just seeing him go through that much pain and be the, be the end, that much depression, it was pretty hard. After speaking with Robert's children, Jackson County detectives head to the last place he was seen, the home of his employer, Susan Monica. When we were coming down this uh, gravel road, coming up to her property, I'm thinking to myself as we're pulling up, like, are we in the twilight zone here? Like, what is this place? The property is wooded. It's cluttered quite a bit with vehicles and outbuildings and makeshift structures. It was really in a state of disrepair. When I started talking to Susan, she came across as very cordial. Um, she was kind of a, a cheerful person, seemed to be helpful about, you know, wanting to help the investigation and, and help us find it. Robert Haney had lived on her property for about six months or so, and the initial agreement that Susan told me they had was he would do some handiwork around the property, and then he received a, a concerning phone call from a family member that she had been the victim of assault, and he was really upset about that. 
Susan really described Robert Haney during that interview as, you know, being a depressed man. After the alleged assault, Susan says her formerly reliable handyman started drinking heavily. He was having a little hard time with alcohol. I don't know how much he remembered. I, I don't know how Robert was doing, dealing with reality. I have no idea. Through the night, he would, uh, down by his trailer, by himself, he would yell. You could hear him screaming, just in, uh, you know, why and God why and all that kind of stuff. Susan says that on September 9th, 2013, she decided to confront Robert about his drinking. But before she could, he approached her. He had come up from his trailer and handed her uh, some money. He told her, you know, will you take care of my dog? I've got some things to take care of. She just assumed that he was going to return, took the money, he was going to agree to take care of his dog while he was gone. He had gotten in this white sedan, driven by another male. She had not seen him since that time. Robert did mention something about the attack and wanting to look for the uh, individuals. That's something we had to consider as investigators. What if he got into something that he was uh, not able to handle and he was hurt or someone killed him? After speaking to Susan, detectives return to the station and attempt to track down Robert, or the white car Susan says she saw him leave in nearly four months ago. Not having a make or model license plate, we wouldn't put out a bolo if we don't have enough information to be descriptive about the vehicle. There was no clues. We did uh, like call all the homeless shelters. We called uh, all the hospitals. We called everywhere that we could think of. We were just all hoping my dad would still be alive. For detectives, the only possible lead is Robert's EBT card. On January 9th, they contact the state agency to see when and where the card was last used. There had been activity on Robert Haney's card and that the last activity was actually in December of 2013. They'd been used at a date after Susan Monica said that he had disappeared. We were able to track down the last couple of purchases that were at a Walmart in Grants Pass, Oregon. Grants Pass, Oregon is about maybe a 20-minute, 30-minute drive from Susan Monica's house. With this new information, detectives can't help but wonder, is Robert's disappearance just a misunderstanding? Maybe he's on the run, maybe he's going somewhere. I met with investigator Avery at the Walmart in Grants Pass and was able to actually look at the video of the person who had been using Robert Haney's cart. And, you know, I'm expecting, well, hopefully it's Robert. Uh, but what I saw was uh, Susan Monica. That's when I was like, okay, we got something else going on here. And I was really concerned that there was some foul play involved in Robert Haney's disappearance. Coming up, this missing persons case takes a disturbing turn. I would describe that property as eerie. There was a very strong odor there, a lot of decay. 
he kind of stops and he says, I think that might be a leg. I knew it was wrong, but if it were one of my pigs suffering out there, I would have done the same thing. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this, all of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. Whoa, Memorial Day. That means summer is here. And if you're struggling to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it. I make myself own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so of every day dedicated to my results and my health. And man, does it work. Every day, I get out of bed, drink a health shake, and then I go crush a workout from one of the 120 programs on the Body app and just follow along day by day. So here's my special offer to you. Because it's Memorial Day and I want you to get started now, the next 5,000 new subscribers who sign up for six months get the next six months free. That's full access to over 120 programs. So don't wait. See how fast the pounds can really come off. And if they don't, you can get your money back, no questions asked. Just go to Body. Body.com to buy six months and get the next six free. That's BODI.com. In early January 2014, Jackson County detectives discover that months after Robert Haney was last seen, his employer, Susan Monica, used his EBT card at a local Walmart. We worked on a search warrant to search her property for the crime of identity theft. At that point, several detectives were more involved and we were mobilizing to serve a search warrant at her property. On January 10th, 2014, law enforcement arrives at Susan's farm. I'm like, Susan, you know, you're, you're on video using Robert Haney's Oregon Trail card. Tell me about that. Susan was, to me, visibly nervous and what I would describe as worried. Susan said that she had permission from Robert to use the card when she was tasked with having to feed his dog. Susan explained to me that she stopped using Robert Haney's card because it had actually expired. There was no money left on it. A few hundred yards away, officers begin to scour Susan's property for signs of Robert's possessions. We went on with the search warrant procedure, which involves a video of the property. I would describe that property as eerie. There was a very strong odor there, a lot of decay. It's like she never threw anything out. It's just piles and piles of garbage. You know, discarded food, just junk. P 
pieces of metal. There's no running water, no septic system. It looked like the setting of a low-budget horror film. Sergeant Nathan Sickler was the one who was doing that videotaping. And as he's walking around the property and describing the property and videotaping the property, he comes to uh, like a catchment pond type of area. He's filming that. And in his camera, you can see come into view something unusual. He kind of stops and he says, I think that might be a leg. It was clear that it was not an animal bone. It appeared to me to be a human leg that had been severed mid-femur uh, down to the toes. Meanwhile, I'm interviewing Susan. I don't know anything about this, what they've discovered. And Detective Steve Bone came over to me. And I remember he just whispered into my ear, we just found a leg. It was hard not to have a shocked look on my face. And so I, at that point, we, I told Susan, I said, hey, let's go back to the police department for an interview in the office. And so she agreed to do that. At the station, detectives confront Susan with their gruesome finding. To the best of your knowledge, Susan, has anybody ever died on your property? Huh? Would you tell me if there were head in? Um, I guess no. <laughs> well, I don't know. They said they found a leg. Confronted with this information, Susan changes her story and explains what supposedly happened in September of 2013. I came down in the morning and uh, I saw the piece uh, on something. It surprised me. So I went through the gate a little bit and uh, I saw them eating. Then I walked closer, um, saw what was going on, took my hand and hit them um, to try to get them off. I saw that uh, you know, he was laying there with his guts all over the place. And that he was being eaten, what I believed to be alive. I thought that I saw his arm move, and I did hear a little moaning. When I was unable to get them to move, I went up to my house and I got my gun and shot him. I put him out of his misery. Um, I do that, you know, I do that for my animals, and this was the first time I did it for a, a human being. You know, I knew it was wrong, but if it were one of my pigs suffering out there, I would have done the same thing. After Robert was shot, Susan left him out in the pig pen for a couple of days. She said she took his clothes off so that it would be easier for the, the pigs to have access to him. Susan says after the pigs had eaten their fill, she gathered up what was left of Robert Haney. After a couple of days, I went out and I picked up 
what I believe to be the rest of him. I put it in a couple plastic bags. It appears that some animal, perhaps a coyote or something like that, had smelled them, had gotten into and torn open one of these black trash bags, and had pulled that leg out towards the pond area in order to consume it. We asked Susan Monica why she did not call 911, why she didn't get the pigs off of him, why she didn't shoot the pigs. I was thinking about my pigs and um, worrying that if I told anybody that they were going to come out and shoot all my pigs. The only remorse she expressed during this entire time and the only emotion she really showed to us was she did not want her pigs harmed. Robert Haney, she didn't think he was worth a lot as a person, and her pigs were so valuable to her. The way she was talking was probably the most cold and uncaring I had ever encountered before in any person who's killed anyone. The detectives told Susan that they were going to search every inch of her 20-acre property. And they asked her, what else are we going to find on your property? And that's when she visibly started to break down. And I could see the look on her face and her kind of stumbling with words to say what she was going to tell me next. She asked for a piece of paper, and she drew a rough outline of the, the pig pens and the barn. She made an X that was just outside the fence line of the pig pens. And she told the detective that there was something worse in that location. Coming up, what secrets are hiding on Susan's homestead? She had a whole back room full of personal belongings from people. And detectives fear they are sitting across from one of the deadliest killers in America. She told me that if she told me about the 17 others, that she would spend the rest of her life in jail. After confessing to her role in the brutal death of 56-year-old handyman Robert Haney, Susan Monica tells detectives that there is something even more disturbing buried on her remote Oregon homestead. She kind of drew the layout of her barn area and kind of out in the pig pen. She put an X right in the middle. And she said, right there, that's where you're going to find Steve. Susan says that Robert Haney wasn't the first handyman to work on the property or the first to die there. We learned that Stephen Delacino was somebody who lived on a neighboring property, and he would do odd jobs for Susan on her property, which was one year prior to Robert's death. My dad was a handyman. I always remember him carrying a box of tools. He was a hard worker. He was this kind of transient person, loner, you know. Susan liked Stefan. She described Stefan as more of a gentleman, that he would open the door for people, and he, you know, he was kind. 
Until, in the summer of 2012, Susan claims she noticed that two of her guns were missing. She rifled through his property, and she found two guns. One was a handgun, one was a rifle. Susan said she confronted Stefan about these guns that she believed he had stolen. And that's when things kind of went south. She said that she had her 22 revolver and that they got into um, kind of a wrestling match over this 22 revolver. She was trying to take it away from him, and the gun went off, and he was shot in the back of his head. Susan says she was terrified that she had killed her friend, but instead, he stood up, still bleeding from the head. She said she ran out into the area in front of the barn, that he chased her, that he grabbed her. She had also managed to grab a rifle at that point. She says that Stephen Delacino grabbed the rifle and that there was a struggle, that he was grabbing her legs. At one point during the struggle, Stefan was down on his knees. She was above him, and she picked up the rifle, and she shot him in the head with the rifle. She told me that he ended up dying in the barn area. Stefan was somebody that was closer to her, and you know, she didn't, wasn't happy that this had happened to him. She said after that occurred, she was pretty distraught. She went into the other room to lay down to kind of think about things. She says that while she was lying down, she realized she made a terrible mistake. A little while later, she went back out and she found that the pigs had actually gotten in to Stefan and, and actually started to lick some of the wounds that he had on his head and were beginning to eat him at that point. She claimed the pigs then dragged his body back into uh, the pigsty area where she again left his body out there for a number of days for them to consume. And when she returned, the only parts of his body that were left were basically the skull, uh, some of the bones in his spine. Susan says two weeks later, she buried what was left of Stefan's body behind her barn. But if her self-defense story was true, detectives wonder why she hadn't called police. Her excuse really at that point for not telling anyone it is because she was worried that the authorities would come and euthanize all the pigs. Susan specifically told us that she valued the lives of animals over people. I asked her, you know, are we going to find more people? Have you done anything like this to anyone else? You know, all that. And she told me that if she told me about the 17 others, that she would spend the rest of her life in jail. That is what caused us concern that, indeed, we were dealing with a, a serial killer. Detectives arrest Susan Monica for two counts of murder and two counts of abuse of a corpse. The next day, 
January 11, 2014, dozens of CSI agents and officers descend on Susan's remote farm, where they quickly find the rest of Robert Haney's remains in the barn. You could not smell them because the overall smell was, like I said, not pleasant at all. We would have never located these because we would not likely have been searching that area. These are black garbage bags contained his head, and other garbage bags contain other body parts just decayed. We began the large-scale search of her property, and that involved uh, having an excavator to dig holes where we thought we may find the body of Stephen Delacino. Human bones were seen actually in the bucket of the backhoe. Uh, that was stopped immediately. Those were the remains of Stephen Delacino. Detectives reach out to both families to break the tragic news. I was really sad about the whole situation. I would never expect something like uh, for what happened to my dad and what all went on. It was just unbelievable. He was a wanderer. He would disappear and come back. And that's just the person he was. Nobody thought that anything happened to him. And there was no real way to get a hold of my dad. We didn't think, oh, years of not hearing from him, he must be dead. We just thought maybe he moved on to something else. But I did feel like a connection was going to happen with me and my dad. I'm very angry that I was robbed of this. Why would somebody do that to him in that way? Both sets of remains are sent to the lab for analysis. The forensics for both men matched her final stories about how they died. Both Robert Haney and Stefan Delacino died from gunshot wounds to the head. Forensic examination was able to show us places on the bones that indicated consumption by animals. Detectives continue their search efforts to determine if there are more bodies on Susan's property. We had a big excavator working just around the clock, you know, every day that whole time digging holes. We dug approximately 136 holes. One of the holes was the size of an Olympic swimming pool. As police dig, they find chilling traces of other potential victims on the compound. She had a whole back room full of personal belongings from people, um, uh, furniture and televisions and all stacked in an in a area near the pigs in the barn. There was a large pile of uh, shoes on the property. I think at that point, all in, in our minds, we were thinking, how many other people are out here? Coming up, a new witness comes forward with a terrifying testimony. She's not what she says she is. She's not just defending herself. She killed people on purpose. That definitely kind of shook the courtroom up a little bit.
In January of 2014, Susan Monica stands accused of murdering her two handymen, Robert Haney and Stefan Delicino. And there could be more victims. I think there were approximately 400 bones that we found on the surface that were later determined to be animal and not human. Much to everybody's surprise, no other bodies were found on Susan Monica's property. And there was no sign of human remains. We did have to look into Susan's past, identify any people who had stayed on her property over the years. And there were quite a few. But we were able to track them all down and confirm that they were still alive. On April 15, 2015, Susan Monica's trial gets underway. Every time I went into the court of the trials, uh, uh, just seeing Susan Monica, it was pretty hard. In their opening statements, prosecutors assert Susan Monica killed her employees during two heated arguments and then fed their bodies to her beloved pigs. Susan did have a short temper for certain, uh, for some of her workers. I don't think killing somebody was any different than shooting a pig for her. Susan Monica is an intelligent, calculated woman who knew exactly what she was doing. That made me sick. Just sick to find out that she shot him and fed him to the pigs. He didn't deserve that. Not Robert. No one deserves that. After laying out their evidence, prosecutors present a surprise witness, Jordan Ferris, Susan's former cellmate that she met in custody while awaiting trial. Susan told me that Robert and her got into an argument because he, he was drunk and he was trying to come on to her. She shot him and then pushed him into the pig pen. She told me that when she pushed him in, he was still struggling, and the pigs started to devour him. She was whining and crying and screaming. After she told me, she just chuckled really creepily, like, almost like the chills made you know it was real. To prove that Susan killed without remorse, Jordan shows the court a birthday card that Susan gave her when they were cellmates in 2015. She signed it from the sweetest murderer in Jackson County, Susan B. Monica. That definitely kind of shook the courtroom up a little bit. She's not what she says she is. She's not just defending herself. She killed people on purpose. However, the defense claims that the birthday card was just a poorly timed joke. It's consistent with Susan's per personality and in what she would describe as her strange sense of humor. Susan, Monica will make comments, and some are very inappropriate. During her interviews, she had often joked in the past about allowing her pigs to consume humans. The defense argues that Susan killed only in self-defense, or in the case of Robert Haney, for mercy. 
Susan is so sure of her innocence that she insists on not only testifying, but representing herself. In addition to her defense attorneys, Susan Monica wanted to also question witnesses and conduct cross-examination and make statements to the jury on her own. Susan is fairly narcissistic. And the de delusional part is just believing that she knows more than everyone and that she can do it better than anyone. Susan Monica would also have outbursts where she would suddenly stand up and start making statements or answering questions. The trial basically was a bit of a circus. Susan's theatrics don't impress the jury. On April 21st, after just an hour of deliberation, they return with a verdict, guilty on all counts. Murder in Oregon carries a life in prison penalty. She's sentenced to a total of 50 years before she could even be considered for parole. It was a little more of a relief uh, when we got the verdict, knowing that she's going to rot in jail for the rest of her life. Though the trial comes to a close, law enforcement is still left to wonder, have all of Susan's victims really been accounted for? My take on what she told me about the possibility of 17 other people being there was that it was true. I believe 100% that there are more people out there. This is the strangest murder I've ever heard about. I've had nightmares about this case um, for years. I think this probably impacted the detectives even more than it did me because they were involved in the actual hands-on searches and discoveries. For the families of Robert Haney and Stefan Delicino, the nightmares will never end. My dad was a good, humble person that shouldn't have been murdered. At least he's able to finally rest in peace. She has changed so many people's lives and taken away two people that were loved. I hope she's remorseful for what she did and that maybe one day she can find it in herself to forgive herself. And I hope one day I can find it to forgive her. Susan Monica is serving a life sentence in the Oregon Department of Corrections. No other victims were ever found on Susan's property. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.